0: Alright, good morning. Let's open our Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 3. Last week we've been going through, uh, we went through Matthew's gospel chapter 2 and we looked at the life of Jesus, kind of in a chronological fashion. Uh, It's important to understand the the details concerning Jesus' birth and certainly Uh, This morning as we look at chapter 3, bear in mind that between chapter 2 of Matthew and chapter 3 is about 28 years. (laughs) And I say that because Jesus began his ministry about 30 years of age, and the last thing we heard in uh, verse, uh, what is it, 16 of uh, chapter 2 is Jesus was around two years old, roughly two years old, when Herod, remember, sent out the decree to have all of the kids killed because... Uh, Herod was an egomaniac, obviously didn't want Jesus uh, cutting in on his business, cutting in on his reign and his rule. And so there's about about 28 years between chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Matthew. Now, the other Gospels fill in the blanks, at least uh, a little bit. We we remember when we were in Luke, we looked at the only other time other than Jesus' birth. It it fast-forwards from when he was 2 years old until he was 12 years old. And uh, we saw him in the temple, um, disputing with uh, the, the doctors of the law and the Pharisees and the scribes, and he was there. But from 12 years old until 30 years of age, there's nothing recorded in the Bible. And the reason for that is simple, because he simply went back to Nazareth, where Mary and Joseph, where they lived, and he submitted himself to his mom and dad. And remember that Joseph was a carpenter And so Jesus naturally would help his dad in his carpentry business. So Jesus was there growing in stature and growing in favor and and everything like that. But the Bible doesn't speak of anything. And now in chapter 3, after 28 years of really nothing other than that event where Jesus was in the temple at 12 years of age, now all of a sudden the the lives of Jesus and this character that we're going to look at today, John the Baptist, they collide. Now remember that John the Baptist was a relative of Jesus, because remember, six months prior to Mary becoming impregnated by the Holy Spirit of God to give birth to Jesus, remember that the the angel Gabriel told Mary that her relative, Elizabeth, was also, um, she had already been uh, pregnant with her husband, Zacharias, for about, uh, you know, six months. And so Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, and is there until the baby is born, and John the Baptist is born. Now, John the Baptist is his last name is not Baptist, and neither was he a Baptist. Nothing against Baptist people, you know, the congregation of you know the denomination, but he wasn't a Baptist either. He was a Jew, and he um, and he believed in Jesus. He believed in his and get this, his cousin Jesus. Claim to be Almighty God. Now, is there anybody in the world that would know for sure whether Jesus' claim to deity was true than those who lived with him and that knew him very well? And certainly John, uh, John the Baptist, uh, even though he lived down in, in, the, in Judea with his family, uh, or at least that's where he was born, you know, they had many opportunities to see each other. And so now we have these 28 years, now their, their worlds collide. Let's read just as the verses uh, 1 through 12 and then we'll get into it. Notice what it says, it says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he of who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. How about that? That's kind of interesting. Nice vegetarian plate, sort of. And then Jerusalem, and uh, excuse me, um, Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, notice, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to the baptism, he said, Brood of vipers. That's a nice way to introduce people or to address them especially the high and mighty, (laughs) "'Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? "'Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, "'and do not think to say to yourselves, "'We have Abraham as our father. "'For I say to you that God is able to raise up children "'to Abraham from these stones. "'And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees, "'and therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit "'is cut down and thrown into the fire.'" Indeed, I baptize you with water under repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire, unquenchable fire, a pretty solemn address he gives to the religious leaders. And you know, Jesus was never easy on those who claimed to know him but were not representing him well at all. He was very gracious to everyone who was Uh, stuck in their sin, really desiring to be lifted up out of this place. And he was compassionate to those who were really struggling. But the problem he had with religious people is because they claimed something that they were not. And we know what those people are called. They're called hypocrites. They're play actors. They're people who claim to do something but are really something else. They're playing a part but it's not really genuine in their heart. And God is looking for genuineness in each of our hearts. And so, just like Jesus, John the Baptist is very stern with the religious leaders because they were the ones that were supposed to be pointing people to Christ. They and in fact, if truth be known, they were the ones who should have been pointing to John the Baptist. Certainly they read Malachi. Certainly they knew the miraculous way that John was born. All these things should have piqued their curiosity, and had they just looked into their own their own scriptures, they would be able to understand there 's something unique about this Wait you mean? You mean the, the the angel Gabriel not only spoke to Elizabeth and Zacharias but also to Mary? Well, there's something with these two children that is really unique. You think that they would have looked into those things, and 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 they should have been the ones out there in the desert saying, "Come and see the one who is the forerunner, this herald of Jesus Christ." A herald is somebody who goes before a magistrate or a king or or some leader, and they are the ones to proclaim the message, to be the ambassador, to speak speak those things, and to announce the coming of the one who is behind them. That's what a herald does. And sometimes, you know, even in, the, in, in England, they would have the town crier, you know, he would raise his trumpet. That's the idea. A herald is somebody who goes before. And you know what? It's interesting, is throughout history, uh, the word of God itself has been a herald to God. The word of God has been a herald to God. And what do I mean? In Psalm 19, what does it say? The heavens declare, there's the word, it proclaims something, it's recording something, it's speaking of the record and it says the heavens, and this is a Psalm of David, the heavens, it declares, it's proclaiming, it's, it's heralding what? The glory of God. And notice the firmament even shows his handiwork. Any, any educated person will look at the world, the stars, the, the order in which everything is, and, and even where our, our planet is positioned. It's a privileged planet. It's the only one that can survive because of its distance between the sun and and how far it is away. There's no life on any other planets, folks. So, you know, let NASA spend the billions of dollars, but trust me, if there's life like anything like us or anything similar, we are it. Anything that's out there is demonic (laughs) in nature, okay? We don't need to go searching for life anywhere. This is it. And Jesus died for the sin of the world, for the world. But he's a herald. John's a herald, but the heavens declare. And notice, day unto day, it utters speech. It's speaking to us. The, the constellations, the, even the, the Hebrew matzeroth, the story that is told in the skies, the way the stars, the, the, the plan of redemption, according to the Jews, was written out in the stars. You know, the Pleiades and Orion, all that stuff is, is, originally was meant to glorify God. And show forth the plan of redemption. But day unto day, this heavens declares the glory. It utters speech. Night unto night reveals knowledge. When you're out in the stars at night and you're looking up and you're seeing the incredible order and the design of God's handiwork, what should it do? It should bring you to an awe of who God is. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Nowhere can you go in the world that somebody is not looking up and going, oh my goodness, there's such order and there's such beauty and everything is in its right place and why aren't we bombarded by asteroids all the time? What is holding this whole thing together? I'm sure it's just chance. No, it's not chance. Almighty God. And what is one uh, John the Apostle in his first epistle? He says, that which we was from the beginning, which we have heard, notice, which we have seen with our own eyes, that that which we have looked upon, that our hands have handled concerning the word of life. Now John here is obviously speaking of Jesus, but he, even John the Apostle, not John the Baptist, but John the Apostle, he too is heralding, speaking, announcing who this is. He says, the life was manifested and we have seen it and we bear witness, and we declare it to you. That's the idea. That eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you may also have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And all of these things we write to you that your joy may be full. So John the Apostle was a herald of Jesus Christ. And the Word of God has been heralding Jesus. Jesus Christ finally in Romans chapter 1 it says for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth they hold back the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them in our hearts we know that God exists in our hearts he has planted a conscience. And when we violate that conscience, we are violating the very thing that God placed in us. We know inherently that it's wrong to murder, it's wrong to steal, it's wrong to lie. All of these things we know inherently God has placed it there and the law of God supports it and makes us accountable. But notice what it says. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. He's shown it to them. We, we are really naked before God. We have no excuse for anything that we do. The word of God has been heralding the very glory of God and certainly Jesus Christ. And it's amazing to consider the great lengths that God has gone throughout the ages. He brought salvation and knowledge of Jesus to the human race. He's carefully arranged it and put it all together. Notice that over a thousand years, over a few thousand years actually, he has spoken or communicated directly to the patriarchs, to the prophets of old, and made sure that it was written down for us to to look at and examine and to teach. And then finally, when the time came for Jesus to be incarnate, What happened? God uh, sent, he used angels and even a celestial body, a star, to accomplish his purposes. The heavens declare the glory of God and the earth shows, or the firmament shows forth his handiwork. And now after 30 years of that, God uses the life of John the Baptist to herald the coming of the Messiah. And John the Baptist, he was like that herald going out before the king of kings. And the fact that Jesus' own cousin was willing to be beheaded gives great credibility to John's John's, uh, claims of Jesus' deity. What does the Bible tell us? It says in Romans, "...for scarcely for a righteous man will one die." Yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die, but God demonstrates his love toward us and in and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And John the Baptist was willing to die for Jesus, for this cousin that he would know whether he was truly God or not. But one of the interesting things about Matthew's gospel is he doesn't spend a lot of time talking about Jesus, or excuse me, John the Baptist's birth. In fact, in Luke's gospel, it's the only one that really goes in great length about the very beginning of John the Baptist and the, all the events surrounding his life. But as far as Matthew is concerned, as we've been looking at, John's ministry, John the Baptist's ministry, was only important in the sense that he was the herald of the Messiah, fulfilling the Old Testament scriptures. Matthew's gospel was, he, he made it so that people could see that he is the rightful heir to the throne. He is the coming Messiah. And among other things, Matthew would accomplish this by, in his gospel, showing that Jesus had power over disease. He had power over demonic forces. He had power over men. He had power over nature, the power to forgive, power over the traditions of man, power over death and darkness, and the power to delegate authority. All of these things we will see in this gospel. But only the Messiah could do those things. And so Matthew is saying, here it is. It's heralding, and now John the Baptist comes on the scene. And we're not going to uh, look at, sorry about that, we're not going to this morning look at uh, the, the, the complete life of John the Baptist, but we will only look at those scriptures that follow along with Matthew's theme, specifically speaking of the messianic nature of John's life. But there's a few things that we ought to know about John before we get into this. Uh, Turn with me to uh, Luke's gospel, and we'll look at chapter 1. And I'm just going to read some verses out of chapter 1. Luke's gospel, let's just look at the first verse, I'm sorry, the the first chapter, beginning in verse 5. Just so we know who John is. It says, there was in the day, verse 5, of King Herod, the king of Judah, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord. Notice, blameless. These people were were Levites, and they were blameless. And notice verse 7, but they could have no child because Elizabeth was barren, And they were both well advanced in years. Isn't that amazing? God saw them as righteous. They were blameless. It doesn't mean they were perfect, but they were very serious about their walk with God. And yet, one of the biggest scars of a a woman in that culture was to be barren. And yet God would allow this woman to grow into be a very aged woman, not having children, and that was a curse to some people. And yet God calls them righteous and blameless. So much for the prosperity gospel, right? That says, oh, if you come to God, you know, if you come to Christ, everything well, he'll give everything to you. You'll have a, a big life, a big car, a fancy house by the lake. All these things he'll give you. And, and, and while you're making all that money, give some to us, right? That's what the television evangelists say. Ah, but that's not what it says here. God called them righteous and blameless and yet they had a very difficult time And certainly Elizabeth. But now she bears this son. Look at verse 13 through 17. So while Zacharias was serving in the temple, the angel Gabriel comes to him and he says, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink but he will also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his, his mother's womb, and he shall turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Notice that. This was a prophecy about his, his, um, his life of, of being a herald. This is what he was going to do. Before he was even born, the plan for his life had already been established. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will also go before him, speaking of God, in the spirit and the power of Elijah To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. Notice, to make a people ready, prepared for the Lord. Now go to verse 67. So we have a little bit of an understanding of John the Baptist, his role, what God had designed for his life. But in verse 67, Zacharias, now able to speak after over nine months, because God had made him mute, Because he didn't believe that they could have a child in old age. And he says, you know what? Love you, Zacharias. But here's going to be a sign. And the the Lord allowed him to be mute for over nine months until John was born. And so finally now he speaks. And what is one of the first things that comes out of his mouth? Prophecy, not only about Jesus. And if we look at verse 67 through 75, we're not going to read that. But it speaks all about this coming one, meaning Jesus. Jesus. It's all about Jesus, verse 67 through 75, but then he gets to verse 76, and he looks down at his son, probably in his arms, and he says, and you, child, John, you will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. Again, a prophecy of Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, which we'll look at. You will go before the face of the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, speaking of Jesus, the day spring from on high, that's speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, to do what? To give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. If you look at verses 76 through 79, there's three Old Testament references that are mentioned, and you can see them on the screen, but they're Isaiah 40, verse 3, Malachi 3, verse 1, and Isaiah 9, verse 2. You can go back and read that passage and look at those scriptures and see how they align with the the narrative here. And so it's very interesting, very interesting, Now go with me to John's gospel. We're going to look at chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 6. It tells us there that John the Baptist, he came for a light. He came to bear witness to the light. Not that he was the light. It says there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, and the the word there is "martyrio," which means to give evidence or report or to testify. Again, a herald. Yes, John the Baptist. He came to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Notice light is capitalized, and that light is Jesus Christ. He came to bear witness of Jesus Christ. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. And then look over in verse 15 of that same chapter. John very clearly knew that he wasn't the Messiah, but he, he knew his role. In fact, they came to him and said, who are you? And he says, I am not the Christ. I'm not Elijah. I'm not that prophet in, in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 18. I'm not that prophet. But, they, but he said, this is who I am. He said, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet said. Yes, John being the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. He was in the wilderness. He was a Levite, wasn't he? Because if his mom and dad were Levites, John had this career set out for him from the very beginning. He was going to be a Levite and probably enter into the service of the temple, just like his father Zacharias But God had a plan for this young man, and it was going to be something completely different. He would take him from the hustle and bustle of a very busy Jerusalem, and he would take him out into the Jordan area in that valley. And it would be there that everybody would come out to hear what this man had to say. And he had quite a striking appearance. He had camel's hair, a leather girdle around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And all of that brought to the Hebrew mind Elijah the prophet, because that's how Elijah dressed. Kind of a wild man, and he's out there, and he's preaching, and he's, he's, he's proclaiming, he's heralding the coming of the, of the one, of Jesus Christ. But he is out there in the desert, and he's doing exactly what God had created him to do. Do you know what God has created you for? God has a purpose for each of our lives. Do you know what it is? Are you on that trajectory? Do you want to be on that trajectory? Or is your life your own? Is your life all about what you want? I want to make money. I want to have fun. I want to go to the beach. I want to do all these things. There's nothing wrong with enjoying life. We should enjoy life. But do you know that you can enjoy life and still follow Christ and be submitted to him? Believe me, since I got saved when I was 24 years old, my life has been a wonderful journey. I've not missed out on anything. Prior to 24, I did everything else. Everybody else did, drank, did all that other stuff. And I can tell you that all of it was the biggest waste of time in my life, and now I am living life. I feel alive, and boy, the battle is on, and everything is clear to me. The word of God opens your mind. You're like, oh my goodness, this is not just some kind of fairy tale. This is not some kind of Disneyland that I'm living in. No, this is real. And there is a fight for life. There's a fight for life, and there's a fight for death. And it's amazing, there's people out on the corner now screaming. They want their right to choose. Kill that child. Anyway, God has a plan. He had a plan for for John. And John even, in that same... uh, chapter there in John, uh, beginning in verse um, 29. It says, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Again, God the Father giving him that understanding. And certainly, as he said, behold, the Lamb of God, what is that going to do in the mind of the Hebrews, of the Jews? They're going to be thinking of what? The Passover, the Lamb that was slain. The Passover lamb. Jesus is that Passover lamb. That type that was specified in in Exodus 12, that Passover lamb that would have to be slaughtered and the blood put over the lentil and the doorposts of the house. And anybody who was under the blood was safe, but anyone who was outside would be killed. And isn't that true? If we are in Christ and his blood covers us, we're safe. Because he died on the cross once and for all for my sin and for your sin. We have to believe in him and we can have eternal life. Jesus says that. So John, the herald, says this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he says, I, and, and John bore witness and said, verse 32, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him, and I do not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit, and I have testified, and this, and I have seen, and this is the Son of God. And John will go on in John chapter three, verse thirty, and he knew his place. John knew his ministry was a very short ministry. Do you know that John's ministry was probably around six months? And yet, for millennia, for hundreds of years—and you know, we'll just say for hundreds of years—it was prophesied of what he would do. And yet, his ministry was so short. It was so short. He says, I must decrease. I've done all that I can do. I've done what God wants me to do. Now I need to decrease. But he, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, he must increase. And that's what a good herald will do. That's what a good ambassador will do, is point to the one that they serve. And John knew his marching orders very well, and he fulfilled them faithfully. And John is in heaven, even though he was beheaded by a horrible ruler named Herod Antipas. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. We're we're almost going to get into this. But we're looking at John's life. and, And I think this is really striking, this chapter, Matthew chapter 11. Of course, we'll go more in depth later on. But notice just the first 15 verses of this. It says, It came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard... And when John had heard in prison because John the Baptist was imprisoned, about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear, the blind see and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised again, Uh, they're raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And again, even this, that Jesus said, was a prophecy of Isaiah 35, verse 5 and 6. So what, is, what does Jesus tell the messengers of John the Baptist? He quotes scripture to them and send, he says, Send it back to John and tell him You're right on track. I am whom you know me to be. And here's the scripture to prove it. This is exactly what I'm doing. It's going to verify, John. It's going to set you at ease that your life was not in vain. Everything that you're doing right now was not in vain. I'm going to fulfill what God has called us both to do. Notice that. And Jesus... As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, he says, "'What did you go out into the wilderness to see? "'Did you go to see a reed shaken by the wind? "'What did you go to see, a man clothed in soft garments? "'Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. "'But what did you go out to see, a prophet?' Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written. And here he's quoting from Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. And that was John the Baptist. He goes, he was more than a prophet. And Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has not risen a greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. But notice this. And if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So now, it becomes very interesting because we know that Malachi, chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, said this behold I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers lest I come and strike the earth with a curse so they knew that this something about this John that he was and Jesus said he is this Elijah who is willing to come But then we go on in Matthew chapter 14, and we find out that Herod ultimately kills John the Baptist. But then go with me now to Matthew 17. So Jesus knows that Herod has killed his forerunner, his herald, if you will. And then in Matthew 17, what does it say to us? And his disciples asked him again, this is verse 10 of Matthew 17. Why then do all the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus answered and said, notice because prior he says this is John or this is Elijah. He came in the spirit and the power of Elijah. This is Elijah, but now that he is he is he has been killed, which wasn't a surprise to God." Jesus answered and said to them, "Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things, but I say to you that Elijah has already come, And they did to him, but uh, excuse me, but, and they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished, and likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. And then the disciples it said, understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. Now this seems a little odd to us, perhaps, but one thing we have to realize is the implication of this is if if Israel had accepted Christ as their Messiah, and by this time in Jesus' ministry, when he said this, they had rejected him. They had rejected him, and he knew that. And if they would have listened to John the Baptist, and if they would have received Christ, the kingdom of God would have ushered in at that time. But they did reject him. And they reject the message of John the Baptist that had been prophesied. And, so the, and that's why Jesus would say to them that he, has, he is indeed coming first and, we're, and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already. So that's a little confusing, isn't it? He's, he is going to come first, but he's already come. What is he talking about? Well, John the Baptist came, and he came in the spirit and power of Elijah. But because of the rejection of Israel, this prophecy is still yet to be fulfilled. It's still yet to be fulfilled, and it's going to be fulfilled specifically in the future. And we believe in Revelation 11. Remember what the two witnesses. Many believe that the two witnesses of Revelation 11, one of them is going to be Elijah. And it's very possible. And so that's why Jesus could say, he has already come, but there's also... He's he's, he's coming yet. (laughs) So that's a little confusing because he didn't come physically as Elijah, but he came in the spirit and power of Elijah. But due to the rejection of John's message, due to the rejection of Jesus Christ, the prophecy of Elijah in that Malachi 4 is not fulfilled yet, but it will be fulfilled in the future yet to us. So let's look at verse 1. Notice what it says. In those days John the Baptist came and we're back in uh, excuse me in Matthew chapter 3. We may only get to the first uh, 12 verses here, Lord willing. But notice, so now we got a background of John the Baptist. We we found out who he is, what he's about, his role if you will, and how he is the herald of Christ. So in those days John the Baptist, notice, came preaching and that's what a preacher does. He proclaims, he, he brings forth a record, and he did it in the wilderness of Judea. And, and his, um, he was baptizing people according to repentance. It was a, a repentance, a baptism, excuse me, of repentance. Saying, "Repent for the kingdom of, of heaven is at hand, and uh, notice, uh, it is a great message for us today. Repent. I think if John were alive today, the message would still be the same. Repent. And see, church, we need to turn from our wicked ways. I need to turn from my wicked ways. You need to turn from your wicked ways. See, you and I are heralds as well, aren't we? We are ambassadors of Christ. But if my life is so marred by sin and I'm, I'm still drinking, still smoking, still sleeping around and doing all these other things, if that is my life, then I'm not being an, an ambassador, I'm not being an example at all. In fact, I'm just living for the flesh, and the devil loves that. He loves for us to, to live a life for the flesh. And I've lived a life for the flesh for 24 years. Now, I'm not going to say that I haven't done a fleshly thing since then, but I will say this. Prior to 24, that was my life. And such were some of us. Life given over to the flesh, just doing what feels good, doing what I want to do and and, and reaping a whole lot of trouble and anguish for myself. Writing a lot of checks I couldn't pay. For this is he, verse 3, of who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness. He cried in the wilderness trying to plead with people to come to God, to get their heart right before God. That's what John did in that desert, uh, in the wilderness. That's what he did. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. What an interesting character that would be. And he ate you know, locusts and wild honey, And uh, this is very reminiscent of Elijah. And yes, locusts are okay to eat. Has anybody here eaten a locust? I haven't either, but I'd like to try it. But I want to do it right. I want to make sure I pull off the wings and the legs and and put it over a fire and just kind of make it nice and crispy, okay? I don't want to eat it with the head. I don't think you're supposed to eat it with the head anyway. So aren't you glad you come to this morning? But this is what John did. Look, look as a Levite... Here he is eating these locusts. And is it, is it a clean animal? It is. Leviticus 11. Again, this is just a side note, but we really need to get moving here. But this is kind of interesting because most of us are grossed out about this time, looking forward to lunch. So it was a clean insect, Levitically, even for John. And in Leviticus 11, verse 21, what does it say? Yet these you may eat of every flying insect that creeps on all fours, which... Uh, those which have jointed legs above their feet which, uh, with which to leap on the earth. These you may eat, the locust after its kind, the destroying locust after its kind, the cricket after its kind, and the grasshopper after its, after its kind. But all other flying insects, thank you, insects, thank you, Jesus, which have four feet shall be an abomination to you like cockroaches. I'm glad that that's, that's an unclean animal, but you know I can see a cricket or a or a locust. So when you think about that, maybe consider that for lunch. In fact, the kitchen ministry we, we told them in advance, so they got a big a big pan of roasted locusts out here. I, I just make sure you pull off the wings and the legs because you don't want them getting your teeth and stuff. So yeah, there's garlic on them too. So kind of yes. See how easy it is for me to digress? I just... So notice verse 5. Then Jerusalem and all Judea, all the region around uh, Jordan, went out to him. Notice the consecration of John. He didn't stay in Jerusalem. He went out where nobody would be. And notice what happens when God has his hand on a life. For some reason, now he's a magnet. Because when God is working in the life of John the Baptist, the Spirit of God is upon him, and people are drawn to this message. They're like, I've never heard anything like this. Somebody with authority preaching and see, when, 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 when stuff like this is preached with authority, people take note, and that's the difference between somebody who is filled with the Spirit of God and one who is not. And how important it is for us to be filled with the Spirit of God. We have the Spirit of God in us if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, but I need the power from on high whenever he chooses to baptize me with his Spirit, to give me power and um, um, boldness, but they went, notice verse 6, they were baptized by John in the Jordan, confessing their sins. And, uh, and again, it was uh, separation. It was separation. And I love what it says in Second Corinthians. It says, Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. And do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. And I love the fact that he brought them out. Because they were in, Jerusalem at this time was filled with extortion, filled with a bunch of phony business. There's nothing more phony uh, except in, in religious circles. Sometimes there can be so much phony stuff. Don't be bamboozled by those who want your money, who are, you know, you know send in your, your seed faith of $1,000 and we'll send you a hanky that the pastor blew his nose into. And we'll send that to you for a, for a seed gift of $1,000 or more. And people do it. It's crazy. He had to get them out of the mess. Because Jerusalem at this time was a complete disaster. He says, come out and be separate. Come out from among all the religious nonsense and get your heart right with God. Because that's what it's all about is our, our heart with God. Come out from among all of this noise and nonsense and all this merchandise that Jerusalem may become. Come out into the field, out there in the wilderness, and let's talk about it. Let, let us reason together, says the Lord. Isn't that what it says in the prophets? And so when, when verse 7, he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism. They were there not because they really wanted to be baptized. They were coming to find out, who, who is this young upstart? Who is this young man who's claiming to be something? He didn't come by us. We didn't give him any authority to be out here doing this. Well, guess what? It's because the authority, you don't have the authority anymore. You've been squandering it away, stealing money from poor widows and, 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 and acting like you're all pious, but inside your own personal life, you're, you're having an adulterous affairs, and you're stealing money from people. The one and God is saying, the one who I'm really after and I got my hand on is him." John the Baptist, out there. And so they're coming out there wondering, you know, who this man is. They weren't there for the right reasons. And John knew it. And he says there, he says, "He said to them, brood of vipers. Think of that. He didn't say, oh, I'm so glad you guys came. I was waiting for somebody from Jerusalem to come to validate my ministry. Now I can put a post on Facebook. The Pharisees came to my show. No, he's like brood of vipers. (laughs) Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these very stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees, and therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me, John, of course, speaking of his cousin Jesus, is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Yes, and it wouldn't be long after Jesus' death and resurrection that that prophecy would actually come to fulfillment. Joel, in Joel chapter 2 of the Old Testament, it was prophesied that that would happen, and it says in Joel chapter 2 verse 28, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and on my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days. And see that is the difference between John's baptism and Christian baptism. John's baptism and Christian baptism are two different things. John, as the forerunner, was to prepare people for the Messiah. And so it was sort of like a football that's been handed to him. (laughs) He had the ball and he's running. He's going forward and heralding Christ, but there came a point where he took the football and a backward lateral, for those of you who are sports guys, a backward lateral to Jesus and said, it's all yours now. She's all yours. I'm done. And that's the selflessness of John. And he handed it, he prepared, he got everybody's heart, got them thinking, kind of stoked the fire, so to speak, and then he handed the bride, everybody off to, off to Jesus. And that was what his role was to be. But he preached a baptism of repentance. It tells us in Mark chapter 1, verse 4, John Came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching, no notice, a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. In Luke Chapter 3, it says that he went into all the region around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, as it is written in the book of Isaiah, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill brought low, the crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. So John is, is doing this ministry. But Christian baptism is something entirely different. It's something that Jesus commanded us to do. You remember in Matthew 28, what does it tell us? We, we call it the Great Commission. Jesus spoke to his disciples after his death, after his crucifixion, after his resurrection, he spoke to his disciples, and he says, Now go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to do whatsoever I have commanded you. And so Christian water baptism is symbolic. When we are baptized, it's symbolic of what Christ has already done in our lives. It's symbolic of what he has already done, and that in Christ we also have been put under Uh, in death. Our old self, our old nature has been put to death if we're born again. And then we've been risen to newness of life as the Spirit of God has come into our hearts. In fact, um, that's what baptism is all about. In fact, hopefully sometime soon we'll have a, a baptism picnic and pray now about whether you would be baptized. If you are a Christian, if you're a born again believer and you've never been baptized, this will be the time for you to do it. God commanded you to do it. Didn't we just read the command? Go for, go forth and baptize them, and uh, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. As believers, we ought to be baptized. Now we'll, we'll talk later. It's not a, a, a if if you're a Christian and you something happened to you and you died, you're still going to heaven. Don't worry. Okay, so I just want to. Share that up front. But what is water baptism? Paul tells us in Romans, and I'm just going to read the first four verses. And we know this. If you've been to a baptism here at the church, I, I mention this a lot. He, Paul says to the Romans, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died in sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And therefore we were buried with him through baptism. Baptism literally means to be submerged. Baptismo is the Greek word that means to be put under. And so when Jesus died in the grave, he was put under. And when he was risen from the grave, the Spirit of God rose him from the grave. And it's very symbolic of exactly the same thing that happens to us and should be relevant to us today. Because when we died in Christ, when we gave our heart to Christ, that old man, that old nature is now dead. And now there's a new spirit in me, the Holy Spirit of God. And he is the one who has raised me. And so when we go through the act or the rite of baptism it is symbolic it is symbolic therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God the Father even so we also should walk and we should walk in newness of life notice that's christian baptism Because Christ has died and rose again, we gave our heart to him, we died in him, and we've also been raised to newness of life. And then how are we to conduct ourselves? In Colossians chapter 3, I'm just going to summarize a few verses here. In Colossians chapter 1, he says, If, or since you've been raised with Christ, believers in Christ, since you have been risen by the Spirit of God in you, since you have been risen... Seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. In verse 5, he says, "...therefore put to death... Those members which are on the earth, in other words, put to death fornication and uncleanness and passion and evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. That pretty much covers a lot of ground, doesn't it? We are to put to death those things. We are to resist those things and to say, you know what, as a believer, these things no longer have hold on me any longer. It doesn't mean that I'm perfect because I'm not, but there ought to be a different change about my life. And when I do fail, and we all fail, what do you do? Do you, do you wallow in agony and pain and, 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 and you know, submit yourself to the devil? No. You confess, and God forgives you. But with the Spirit of God in you, all of a sudden, you're going to have a power, you're going to have a witness in you, and you're going to have the desire and even the strength to withstand those things. And that's important for us to do. In verse 8 of Colossians 3, it says, But now you yourselves... Or also to put off all these, anger and wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Before I came to Christ, I swore like a sailor. My mouth was so filthy, somebody would say to me, do you eat with that mouth? That's how, that's how rotten my language was. But something wonderful happened. It was one of those things, for me personally, everybody has a different story, but when I got saved, the, the first thing that the Lord seemed to have touched immediately was my rotten mouth. Just removed it. I didn't even have a desire to speak it that, that way anymore. And that's a miracle, because what's, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. My heart was so filled with ugliness, and all of a sudden, my heart is filled with him. And even though I was growing in my faith and I was far from anything, I was just a wet behind the ears still as a babe in Christ. And yet he took that from me just as a token to say, Rob, I'm with you, I love you, and I'm gonna show you what I can do. And he did it. And it wasn't a strain or a struggle. But we are to put on the new man, it says that in verse 12 of, of Colossians 3, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and anointed, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering or patience, bearing with one another and forgiving with one another. All of these things are a work of God's Spirit. And when I allow that to happen in my life, and I, and I do, and don't you? Don't you want the Spirit of God to have all of you so that you can live a life that's glorifying to Him? And, and by the way, as you live a life of purity, Your life is going to be much better. Your friends will make fun of you. They'll make fun of you and say, oh, you're Mr. Goody Two-Shoes. Oh, holier than thou now. Ah, let them think what they want because they're doing things that they're going to be busted for later on. They're going to make a mess of their life and they're going to be the ones in trouble and you're the one who's smooth sailing. There are rewards for obedience. There's rewards for obedience, but there are consequences for disobedience. And God has all of that for us. He says, will you be obedient to me? Will you trust me? And so we need to do that. But we need to put on the new man, which is Christ Jesus. But Christian baptism, again, I'm drawing a difference between John's baptism, because while we're on this, we need to talk about it. John's baptism, a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. But Christian baptism, when we baptize, it's exactly what we read about in Romans 6. We baptize, full submersion, we go under. But it's not critical uh, for, for salvation to be baptized. And there are some who disagree with me, but that's okay. What does it tell us in Mark's gospel? He who believes and is baptized will be saved But he who does not believe will be condemned. So let me ask you, does that sound like baptism is the thing that gets you to heaven, or is it the belief in Jesus? Yes. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Now, it would have been a different story if he says, but he who does not believe and is not baptized will be condemned, but it doesn't say that. Because our, our, our faith in God is what gets us to heaven. Our belief in Jesus, not some right that we go through. Yes, we, he commanded us to do it, and we ought to. But what about the thief on the cross? When he was on the cross, he was hung up there. And when, they, when he was hung up on the cross, he, both of those guys on the cross, on the opposite side of Jesus, they reviled Jesus. Remember that? But one of those men on the cross came to salvation on the cross. And what did he tell Jesus? He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what did Jesus say? You're a filthy, rotten scoundrel. You, 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 came, you, you got saved up here on the cross, and you think I'm going to let you in at the 11th hour? <laughs> Forget it. No, what did he say? This day you will be with me in paradise. He had no opportunity to even grow in Christ. He had no opportunity to be baptized. He had no opportunity to do anything, but he got in by the skin of his teeth. Whatever that means. He got in. And why is that? It has to be by faith. What does it tell us in Ephesians? For by grace you have been saved. Through faith... Belief in God is what gets you to heaven. Believing in Jesus, and that, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Salvation is a gift from God. It's a gift that's given, and I simply believe in what Jesus has done. And notice, not of works lest anyone should boast, because if I could somehow earn my salvation, I would certainly be putting it up on Facebook and Twitter and, and, and showing all my good works. In fact, every moment of my life where I did something good, like when I'm walking the old lady across the street with all the, with all the groceries, I'd be taking a selfie of me and grandma, you know? And then I'd be posting it up there and go, look at this guy, he's so wonderful, isn't he beautiful? God's certainly gonna love him, and he, he's certainly gonna get into the kingdom of God, and God's going, huh. He's going to be last. In fact, he's not going to make it at all because he's relying upon his, his works, the things. Oh, if he does so many, if you do this, if you do that, oh, you'll get to heaven. God's saying, no, there's one thing. One thing, belief in Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, through belief in him, and that not of yourselves. It, has, it doesn't even originate from me. It's a gift of God, and it's not of works, lest anyone should boast, because we could if we would, or we would if we could. We would boast about it. People do it all the time. These, these rich men and these organizations, they live like hell for the most of their life. They're living in adulterous affairs. They have all the money. They're corrupt as anything else, but then they give to the church. $10,000. And the pastor's going, oh, good grief. Thank you, man. Thank you. Uh, it's really no problem. Oh, may God bless you. Yeah, he does, and he will. And all the while, see, that's a work. It would be better for the man to say, you know what? God has given me so much, and he has blessed me so much. I'm going to write this, and I don't even want you to know that I did it. I'm just going to, I don't know, do something. I don't want you to even know that I, I did it. God will receive that gift, and that person has a right heart. I think we better stop there. There's a lot more to go. But you know, I love I love John the Baptist. I love him because it was not about his self at all. He was totally selfless. He was other-centered. He, he didn't care about him. He didn't even care about his ministry. He wasn't worried. Now, here I am in the prison of uh, here in Mercurius, and, and uh, Herod Antipas is about ready to cut my head off. But, you know, Lord, I've only had six months or so into this, and yet my life has been prophesied hundreds of years. Is this, is this it? Is this, all I, is this all I get? I wanted more. But that wasn't John the Baptist's heart. He's like, you know what? I would have given my life the first moment I saw you if that, if that really meant glorifying you, Jesus. Now think about that. Really think about it. Because if this man, who was a cousin... And by the way, James and Jude, they are also brothers, half-brothers of Jesus. They wrote the book of Jude and they wrote the book of James, the letter to James. They're all in the New Testament. His half-brothers wrote those books and they all testified to this one. Don't you think they would have known whether Jesus was the real deal or not? Do you think they would have given their lives horrible, despicable murders they endured? They They threw James off the pinnacle of the temple. And then when he didn't die, they smashed him with a club until he died. And all the other disciples, except for John, the apostle, died horrible deaths, and yet they all knew this one. And they were willing to give their life. Think about that, because nobody gives their life for a phony, for a fake. And John was one of those. He says, I have come to make the crooked places straight, to to bring people to repentance, to get them ready, to prepare them. He cried out in the wilderness. And you see, folks, that's what we need to be doing too, especially in the day that we live in. We need to be crying out to a nation, to a world right now that is dying in their sin. They're dying. They don't even know it. They don't even care to know where they're going, but they're dying. And you and I have this wonderful promise, especially for those of us who are born again, We have the Spirit of God in us and he's urging us to be a herald. Will you be a herald today? Will you be a herald this week? Will you be a herald from this point onward? Would you be willing to break out of the comfort zones that we all have? Break out of your comfort zone and be willing to speak up you don't have to be obnoxious. Nobody likes the guy in the corner with the Bible, you know, uh, on on the, on the corner of East Avenue. You know, you're all going to hell, and he's banging people over the head with the Bible. You're all going to go to hell. You're going to burn, brother. I mean, I mean, are you going to respond to that? Please let me sign up. No, nobody wants that. Is that an accurate representation of God? You know, and just just you know, just hating people and just mm, that's not the way to get the job done. Let's be that herald for Christ as well. I need to do that, and you need to do that. One of the things I think in the church, and I'll just end on this, sorry to keep you so long, is that we need to be about that. I need to understand the stakes and how high they are. I need to be willing to speak. What are we afraid of? I'll I'll probably never see most of those people that we that you talk to. You may never see them again. But church, it's time that we be those ambassadors for Christ, to listen to him, and to be willing to be that crier out on the street and pointing people. I mean, you don't have to be a literal crier out on the street, but your family, your friends, lead them to Christ. Tell them about him. Don't tell them about the church. The church doesn't save anybody. Jesus saves people. And that's what we're here for. That's what what this is all about. For us to be encouraged, to be built up, and then to go out with that message. To go out with that message. Let's stand. Heavenly Father, we pray that we would, like John, be those heralds, to be those ambassadors. Lord, would you make us, Lord, those individuals, Lord, that are willing to share Jesus the truth of who you are. Lord, you are the savior of the world. And Lord, we live in very desperate times. And Lord, would you light us on fire again? Lord, there's great life in you, Lord. There's no one like you. And Lord, we just desire to be with you and whatever you would have us to do, Lord. Help us to be faithful like John. All throughout this week, all throughout the next weeks and months and years, should you tarry, Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.